Hi, and welcome to the RCH Kids Health Info podcast, a podcast for parents about common child health concerns. Today is January 28th, 2022, and we've got a special episode for you about the return to school. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info podcast. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, fellow podcast co-host and paediatrician at the Royal Children's Hospital, Dr. Margie Danchen. Morning, Lex. So today we're talking about the Victorian context, but this podcast might be relevant for other states and territories. It's important to remember that that the rules do differ and um, the you know return to school policies are different in different states. There is a lot of anxiety both from parents kids as well as teachers about the return to school. Yeah, that's right, Lex. Certainly with the Omicron variant circulating very freely now, um, it is the dominant variant. And, you know, over the summer weeks, um, many of us know kids and adults that have been sick with COVID. But fortunately, um, as Dr. Sarah McNabb spoke about um, in our last podcast, the Omicron variant is less severe in children. And in fact, primary school age kids are the age group that really um, are at the lowest risk of severe disease. And we're fortunate, of course, to be in a situation now where we have very high vaccination coverage amongst adults, um, you know, over 93% nationally. Um, uh, adults over the age of 16 have had two doses. And of course, we're working really hard to increase the booster doses uh, for adults that are eligible um, and really get that up. So we are in a, a different situation now with high vaccine coverage in the community, a new variant circulating. Unfortunately, even though the Omicron variant uh, on an individual basis uh, is less severe, uh, we are seeing that there are more cases because it's more transmissible. So there are more infections in the community um, and even adults that are vaccinated, of course, are still able to get infected, infected and children are getting infected. So it is a difficult time for parents um, with school starting next week. Some went back today and it'd be really good to talk through some of the issues and how best we can prepare parents and kids um, to make sure that they have a positive start to the school year. Can you just tell us a little bit about the effectiveness of the vaccine in kids and teenagers? Yeah, sure. So when we talk about the vaccine, obviously um, the young uh, teenagers and young adults, so over the age of 12, they've been able to access the vaccine since um, late last year. Um, and uptake amongst the 12 to 15-year-olds has been incredibly high. It's over 85% now have had two doses. So fortunately, that age group um, is reasonably well protected. And in fact, the TGA announced this morning that they have approved booster doses for um, adolescents who are 16 and 17, which is also really great news. Um, uh, because we do know um, that, you know, in terms of prevention uh, against severe disease, particularly for adults and, and older teenagers, that we really would like them to get that booster dose. Now, the vaccination program for the primary school kids, the 5 to 11s, only started, you know, two and a half weeks ago on the 10th of January. 
But here in Victoria, unbelievably, already over 30% of kids in that age group have had one dose. There is some immune response after the first dose. So even though many of our children may not have their second dose when they return to school, there is still some benefit of having that first dose. Yeah, very much so. So we know from the clinical trial data that two doses of the vaccine for kids provides over 90% protection against them getting symptomatic illness or infection. But also we know um, from some data from the UK that one dose is has very high protection against severe disease, probably over 80%. So, you know, parents need to remember that the aim of the vaccine program for kids similar to adults is to prevent them from getting very sick and needing to go to hospital. Unfortunately, as we know, these vaccines are not as good as we would like them to be, preventing us getting infected at all or even transmitting it. But we just don't want kids to go to hospital and that even one dose of the vaccine will be really effective at preventing kids from um, needing to go to hospital. And I think it's also important we talk about teachers. The teachers have done a phenomenal job over the last two years and they've been working really hard with the schools and the principals to prepare for back to -to face-to-face learning. So in terms of vaccination and teachers, what's the recommendations at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I want to give a huge shout out to teachers, school principals. They've all gone above and beyond and this is going to be a very challenging term for them and we fully acknowledge that. Now, in terms of the vaccine for them, Uh, In Victoria, um, the the booster dose has been mandated for teachers, so they do need to have had that booster dose um, at least three months after their second dose by the 25th of February. Um, And I actually think that is um, a a really positive step because we want teachers to feel safe and protected. And that booster dose is not an optional extra. It's really critical um, that, that they get that dose to have that protection against severe disease. So, yeah, I think that's great for teachers. There's lots of other measures that schools have been arranging to put into place to try and prevent the spread of COVID once the kids go back to -to face-to-face learning. Can you tell us about some of those measures? Yeah, so um, as we saw last year, Chief Health Officer uh, Brett Sutton announced the Department of Health plan, which was the three Vs, um, which was vaccination, ventilation and vital COVID safe steps. Okay, so we've talked about the first V, vaccination. What about ventilation? What's being recommended and done in the schools? So we've all become aware just how important ventilation is in terms of air exchange in indoor spaces to make sure that we can clear the virus from the air. So um, critically here, you know, in Victoria, there were 51,000 HEPA filters um, that were purchased and those are now being put into schools, particularly in high-risk areas. So things like classrooms, sick bays, canteens, um, you know... uh, Staff rooms, I think, is one of the biggest places they're being put. Absolutely. I mean, we all acknowledge that we cannot put a HEPA filter in every room in every school. Um, We know that, you know, many of these filters were supposed to have been installed in Term 4 last year and that there were delays with that. We acknowledge some of the frustration that parents and schools and principals may feel around that. But honestly, there is a huge push now to make sure that these filters are delivered and installed. Um, And that is one really positive step. Of course, we've talked about opening windows if possible. It's not always possible. But the other really um, positive step that can be taken is um, trying where possible to have outdoor learning spaces for kids. So again, in Victoria, over 1,800 schools now have applied for 
for um, a, a grant um, from the Department of Education to have shade sails installed, and that's already started in about 300 schools. So there will be opportunities for kids to learn outside, in the shade, and I think that's really critical. Yeah, I think it's incredible what work has been done to try and, you know, change the learning environment to make it a safe one so kids can be back at school. Now, we know that masks uh, do make a difference. This is for indoor learning, of course. Outdoors, you know, kids can take their masks off. Um, The recommendation here in Victoria is that masks are mandatory for children grade three and up, and they are, you know, recommended for the preps to grade twos. Now, we know that not all kids can wear masks. And as paediatricians, you know, we understand that there are developmental differences and it's not always possible. But in the most part, kids are absolutely terrific. They can wear masks. It can be fun. Um, there are different, um, you know, designs and shapes. And different of course, sizes for younger different kids. Different sizes. And again, you know, coming back to Victoria, the government has had a, made a commitment to have child size masks delivered to schools um, for kids and also for teachers. Um, now, just also to acknowledge teachers are able to take masks off while they're actively teaching. Um, There has been some concern, you know, in terms of facial expression and inhibiting teaching in the classroom. So the teachers can actually take them off as long as they socially distance while they're teaching and then uh, put the mask back on. What are the other strategies, apart from vaccination, ventilation and masks, that um, are being done in schools and that's recommended? Yeah. So the other really important strategy is testing. Um, We know that uh, we want to be able to effectively identify COVID cases in the school um, and then ask that child or teacher to isolate for seven days if they test positive and then obviously try and prevent spread. So this is actually being tackled slightly differently um, in different states across Australia. So in Victoria, New South Wales and the ACT, um, we're adopting a surveillance type strategy. Um, And what that means is um, asymptomatic testing twice a week in school meaning uh, uh, teachers um, and and, uh, kids uh, are asked to have a a rapid antigen test at home twice a week. Uh, And if it is negative, they can come to school. Um, And obviously, if it's positive, they need to notify the school um, and isolate for seven days. Now, for children in special schools, um, they are, and particularly kids with disability, they are Um, unfortunately at higher risk of getting severely unwell from COVID infection. So, you know, we're asking children um, to have a rapid antigen test every day, so five days a week if they are in a special school. And, you know, we acknowledge that is difficult and challenging and we might talk about that a little bit more in a minute, Mm. just how best we can approach the rapid antigen testing for kids. But just to highlight that those states are taking more of this surveillance approach um, and uh, the Doherty modelling that was released um, late last year showed very carefully that if um, we use this surveillance approach on a background of high vaccination coverage in the community, even if only 50% of kids are actually doing the tests, we can still have a massive impact on reducing the number of cases, outbreaks and maximising face-to-face learning. And that's what this is really all about. We want to identify cases, stop spread, but we want to keep most kids at school. So, you know, that's critical. The, The rat testing, the rapid antigen tests will be supplied for free by the school. They don't need to go 
out and try and source these. That's exactly right. And actually, um, you know, again, the Victorian government have said that they'll, uh, they've got about 14 million um, rapid antigen tests that they've procured for schools and there'll be over sort of 6.6 million for the first week that are available. So that is good news. So let's just clarify that for parents. If your child has done a rat test before school, they don't have symptoms but it's positive, your child will need to isolate, the household contacts will need to test and isolate and you need to notify the school and the Department of Health of that positive test. A notice will just go out to the parents of children in that class to say a case has been detected um, and if your child is symptomatic you need to test them um, and it's the same approach, twice weekly testing. So it is tricky and I guess that's why it's good to spend this time on it because it does differ by state. What if your child has symptoms before school but their rat test is negative? What's the current recommendation? Well, if they, I mean, it depends how unwell the child is, of course, and if there are other family members in the household who have COVID and if that child is negative, common sense would say, I'm concerned. You know, in that scenario, I would probably recommend that that child go and have a PCR test. Our rat tests are not as sensitive as our PCR tests. So if in doubt go to a testing station and get a PCR test and that will be more conclusive. Okay, so one of the questions I'm being asked all the time is, does it matter which type of rat test? Does it matter how it's done? We know that one of our colleagues here at RCH, Dr. Eric Levi, who's an ear, nose and throat surgeon, has done a few YouTube and TikTok videos on how to do a rat test in a child and they've actually gone viral. Um, excuse <laughs> the have, part. terrific. But he's been, you know, it's been fantastic. So we're going to link some of those um, videos. But also here at RCH, we've done a, a video um, on how to do a rat test and these have been translated by Department of Health. So these should be readily available. But what are some of your recommendations about how to correctly do a rat test in a child? Yeah, so rat testing is tricky and I can understand that parents listening are feeling apprehensive about this. You know, they might not have done one on their child yet. So that's the first thing to say is we know this is going to be a challenge. And at the moment, this sort of twice weekly approach is really only for the first week of term one and then it will be reassessed. So it's not going to be forever. Um, now, in terms of the rats, there are the, um, the nasal swabs as well as the saliva tests. At the moment, there's a shortage of the saliva tests, certainly here in Victoria. And so most of the time, it will be the short nasal sticks um, that uh, kids are asked to do. And as you said, Eric has done some terrific videos um, to make this list threatening for kids um, and to to make them feel less anxious about it. Um, I think what I would say is the most important thing is to explain to the child um, how it is going to be done. Um, You can even demonstrate before hand um, on another adult if needs be or on them with a little cotton bud you know what it's going to feel like so that they are less scared Um, but in general um, the little nasal stick the key as Eric says is go low and go slow and what he means by that is um, uh, people's noses are all different shapes um, and the nasal passage can be um, quite narrow on one side compared to the other side Um, but if you are able to insert the swab um, at the bottom of the nasal passage and just go flat and low and just slowly put it in. It's less scary for the child. It doesn't hurt as much. And then you just um, twirl that round four or five times, 15 seconds, both sides, um, and then uh, follow the instructions. So Maggie, with more Omicron circulating in the community, what are the benefits of kids being back at school? 
Here we are entering the third year of the pandemic and kids certainly in states like Victoria and New South Wales have had long periods of home learning. Um, they've had, um, many of them have had, you know, only limited periods of teaching during the day. Um, not a lot of them have had, you know, really good online access and some of them have slipped quite far behind. So educationally, we know there are going to be gaps. There are going to be kids that are um, going to be struggling and need to catch up. Um, but of course, the other benefit of going to school, socially, being with peers, playing with friends, engaging in sport, all of their activities. I mean, it's just critical to their social and emotional development. And, you know, we do need to acknowledge that some kids have done okay with home learning. Not all children have struggled. Um, school can be a tricky place for some kids if they've experienced some bullying or teasing. We understand that some kids have actually enjoyed it. But, you know, our experience as paediatricians, um, families that we've seen, research that we've been involved with, tells us that a lot of kids have really struggled with their mental health, particularly with anxiety and depression. And, you know, tragically, we've also seen a huge increase in things like um, eating disorders and self-harm. Now, that may be a little bit high in the teenage age group, but these experiences for these teenagers and young people are real and they're real for their parents. Many of them have struggle to access services. So I think it is critical that we prioritise face-to-face learning safely um, and, you know, wrap our arms around these kids with all of these strategies so that we can have them back at school. I agree, Margie. Well said. And I think we've got to acknowledge that it will be challenging for many kids, for teachers. The other thing I just want to really clearly say, Lex, is that we do need to be aware that um, parents uh, who uh, have um, vulnerable kids, they may be medically at risk or at higher risk of severe COVID infection because um, they have an immunocompromising condition. Perhaps they have a chronic medical condition such as congenital heart disease, chronic lung disease, diabetes. You know, we understand that those parents are concerned about their children. They're worried about them being in the school environment and getting COVID. Um, I strongly support prioritising vaccination for those children. Um, we've now seen that those kids um, actually can have a shortened interval between their vaccine doses. It's three weeks. So hopefully we can get them vaccinated and fully vaccinated more quickly. Um, so I just really want to acknowledge those parents and say that as paediatricians, we also agree. We want those kids to feel safe. We want their parents to feel um, that you know we can protect those children. But we also want to see them back at school as well. Absolutely. And I think I think we've got to remember that our children do um, look at us and respond to how we react. So if we're excited and positive about our children going back to school, then hopefully that will rub off on our children. On the contrary, if we're anxious and we um, are quite stressed about our children going back to school, our children can often read that. So it's really important to try and stay calm, stay positive. You know, routine is really important for kids. Um, and so I think for them, as you say, it is really exciting that they're going back. Um, they've had hopefully a good summer and a bit of a rest. Um, so normalising getting back to school. Yes, you know, there's going to be this rat testing, which is a new component. Um, you know, kids are great. I think in the most part they can do this and they'll do it really well.
Margie, thank you so much for coming in and joining me today. It's been a fascinating discussion and I think it'll be incredibly helpful for many parents and teachers who may be listening. It's been great to talk about this and to really acknowledge um, the fantastic job that teachers and parents are doing, getting kids back to school. Um, and hopefully we can touch base about, you know, how things are going and, and just, you know, talk again about schools um, in, in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.